Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome in to our very first episode of Hometown Ghost Stories. On this show, we cover some of the most haunted locations in the world. And on episodes just like this one, we also cover some places that you may have never heard about, sharing personal ghost stories instead of just mainstream ones. In this episode, we tell the haunted history of a small town in Massachusetts, where the paranormal is quite common, as it's within the Bridgewater Triangle. We tell a true story from one of the host's past. Rob, Dave, and I talk about some of our personal experiences within the house after the video. Bear with us. The quality on this one during the live portion was what it was. This was our first ever podcast, and once things started picking up, we made some serious upgrades to microphones, studios, and everything. And that's thanks to all of our listeners, Patreon members, and people who support the show. Can't thank you guys enough. For audio listeners, we encourage you guys to head on over to YouTube. We do a video portion for the first part of the show, and we put a lot of work into it, so make sure you check it out. Thank you all so much for tuning into Hometown Ghost Stories. We do hope you enjoy it. This is episode number one, Bridgewater, Massachusetts. first episode, we will be covering the town of Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Bridgewater, Massachusetts was formed in 1656. It is a medium-sized town located about 30 miles south of Boston. In the 1800s, Bridgewater was known for its ironworks factories, with Bridgewater Ironworks being registered as a historical site in Massachusetts. In the 1990s, a majority of this factory had to be torn down due to unsafe conditions and it was turned into Ironworks Park. As of today, Bridgewater is known for Bridgewater State College, which has an emphasis on teacher's degrees, and Bridgewater State Hospital, which is a facility that houses the criminally insane, which at one point housed Albert DeSalvo, that is until he escaped briefly at which point he was transferred to a maximum security prison. Bridgewater is also the town responsible for the namesake of the Bridgewater Triangle, an area in Massachusetts with spiked levels of paranormal activity. Bridgewater State University A ghost named George is believed to haunt the Campus Center Auditorium, who is sometimes seen by students playing different instruments in the orchestra pit late at night. In Woodward Hall, a ghost has been heard running up and down the hall, screaming fire. In 1924, the old Woodward dormitory burnt down, and the legend is that the girl screaming fire is the one who set the blaze initially. It is believed that she perished in the fire, but that has never been confirmed. Room 208 of Shea Durbin Hall has the most chilling of stories. People have said to hear the sound of a woman choking believed to be the result of a man who choked his girlfriend to death after he discovered her cheating on him. Lake Nippinicket 
otherwise referred to as the Nip. The lake is said to be haunted by an old man who passed away while fishing. At night, visitors have seen an old man paddling a small boat until it slowly vanishes into the darkness. The McElwain School Though no longer in operation, the McElwain School has been added to the National Register of Historic Places. It opened in 1912. There are stories throughout the years of students seeing the apparition of a boy appearing in the bathroom, as well as faucets turning on and off and stall doors being forced open, only to find out they're alone in the bathroom. Since the school's closure, some urban explorers have also had similar experiences. Recently, the school has been converted into apartment buildings. Perhaps we will get more ghostly tales from the new occupants. There stands a house on North Street. As of the telling of this story, after a giant renovation, it looks no different than any other unassuming house that you would come across. This particular house, though, is the reason for me believing in ghosts. My grandparents purchased this house in the mid-1960s and were the owners for 50 years. 50 years of memories that range from good to the unexplained. My first memory of anything happening in this house was in the mid-1990s. I was somewhere between 7 and 8 years old and hadn't heard the stories. On this particular day, I was downstairs in my grandparents' house in the room with the wood stove, along with my mother. My little brother, around 2 at the time, was upstairs where he was supposed to be taking a nap. I don't remember what we were doing. What I do remember is the scream that came from upstairs. My mother and I rushed up the stairs and there was my little brother, slumped down, his back in the corner of two walls in the hallway. The color completely drained from him. He might as well have been an extension of the white wall. When we came into view, he started pointing and just kept saying, the man mummy, the man, the man mummy, the man, the man mummy, the man. I was never able to get this out of my head, and a few years later, I was back on a visit for the summer and asked my grandmother about the house. I asked her if she had ever had any experiences of her own. Although she had never seen anyone, like my brother had, she had a few experiences, but didn't say much more. Each summer that I would come up to visit, I would have little experiences if I was in the house alone, but always chalked it up to an overactive imagination. When I was in my teens, we moved back up to Bridgewater and into the house. I decided that with the internet being a resource now, I would finally see if I could find out anything about this house. It took a while not knowing where to start, but eventually I found something. It turns out in the early days of the house, it was not just a house, but it was the Oakley farm. In 1949, one of the farmer's cows had gotten loose. It seems as though this wasn't an unusual occurrence, and the farmer and his dog went out to search for the cow. The problem started when they didn't come back. His wife called the police, and eventually a search was put on for the man. A few days later, the farmer's nephew was talking to a local reporter when he cut off mid-sentence and said, I'll be. There's the dog. And the cow's right behind him. My uncle must be right behind. As it turned out, He wasn't right behind, and to this day, they have never recovered a body. 
One theory is that he somehow perished in a lake that was through the woods behind the house, which is the Nip. But this has never been proven. I asked my mother about this after discovering it, and she had vaguely heard the story over the years. Although she wasn't able to provide more info, what she did tell me is that a family she went to school with had purchased the house before my grandparents. The children had told her at school that the hauntings were the reason that they sold the house less than a year after purchasing it. Throughout the years, I did what I could to never be in that house alone. I always felt uneasy when I had to be. When I was in my mid to late 20s, my grandfather became ill. My grandmother and him had to move out of the house in order to help care for him. This meant that someone needed to move in and tend the house. When no one else stepped up, I volunteered, very reluctantly. One of the reasons someone needed to be in the house was because the only heating system for the place was a wood stove that needed to be run constantly. Upon moving in, I loaded the stove and took a picture of the inside just for a throwaway social media post. When I looked at the photo I had taken, my jaw dropped. There was an image of a skull in the fire. There were many incidents of hearing things move and shift upstairs the two years that I was there alone. But two others stick out that I'll share. One evening, I had my best friend and his now wife over just to hang out and watch TV. We were downstairs in the living room, and they had brought their dog Max with them. Max, at one point, got up abruptly, stood at the foot of the stairs, and started barking towards the top landing. Once we were able to get him to come back and calm down a bit, that's when we heard the floorboards. This wasn't just a quick creak. We heard someone walk from the far bedroom to the bedroom closest to the top of the stairs with slow, deliberate steps. Other than the incident with my brother, this story that I'll end with is still the most unsettling to me. That same best friend worked as a DJ for a number of years, and I went to hang out with him while he was working one Saturday night. I came home around 2 a.m., and for context, I was completely sober. I walked into the house and into the bathroom to get ready for bed. I heard a conversation happening, but I thought nothing of it, because to this day, I leave my bedroom TV on. As I was brushing my teeth, the conversation continued, but I was just tuning it out, not really listening to the subject of the talk. I left the bathroom, took a right down the hallway, opened the door and stepped inside the bedroom, and as soon as I did, the conversation stopped. I looked in the room, and my TV was turned off. As soon as I realized this, behind me, at the top of the stairs, I heard a man yell down a series of three to four words angrily, and then there was complete silence again. To this day, I can't remember what he said. I just remember the tone and the volume at which it was said still gives me goosebumps. I still drive by the house sometimes, and although basically unrecognizable, I imagine the new family has some stories of their own. I'm Rob Coakley, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Bridgewater, Massachusetts.
welcome into the very first live broadcast of the uh, Hometown Ghost Stories podcast. What a way to start, too. It's a personal story from myself, actually. Um, introduce ourselves. I'm Rob, along with Jesse and Dave. Uh, yeah, we've been waiting to do this for a long time, and uh, it's a little, it's a little later than we wanted to, but we're glad to get this out to you guys. Hey, it's still October. It's the day before Halloween, and um, we are off and running. Nice job on the video editing and putting that together. Came out nice, and um, yeah, we got some personal stories inside that house, and that's what the show is going to be about. It's going to be about personal ghost stories, hometown ghost stories, your ghost stories. So if anybody has their own ghost stories they want to submit, you can message them to us. Uh, link up with us on Twitter. These are all our Twitter handles here at Jesse C. Wilkins, at Ken Coakley, at Dave Wilkins 12. And um, what is going on with my computer? Sorry. Um, yeah. yeah so we want to we want to hit on a lot of personal stories along with telling these like small town histories and small town like little things like we touched on the Bridgewater Triangle a little bit in this episode. Not much because we kind of want to save that for something later. But for the most part, we're going to be hitting like towns that are haunted we're looking at doing tombstone arizona for example but as we get more and more submissions we'll be doing more history on smaller towns that people might not have heard of before exactly so let's get into it let's talk about this house because we've all been to this house we've all experienced um how this house was before they renovated it and you were living there for a while i spent many nights there uh dave was there many nights we did i slept slept in the attic once you did sleep in the attic sleep in the attic absolutely creepy and um did that that house just it was always entertaining people everyone wanted to go there and check it out and and experience what we could you know with ourselves and and go see it for themselves and we would get i mean other than the dog barking the picture that you caught we got um flashlights to turn on in the attic um we, flashlights that exploded in the attic yeah we got emf readings voice uh spirit box stuff we had footage of it and we had it on our former youtube channel which ended up uh getting hacked by the koreans and turned into a propaganda outlet and thus it was deleted but yeah though the one that we did was kind of um kind of like a spoof one anyways but we did legit investigations in there and it, it was creepy so you went over most of the history of the house and everything like that um you talked about the night you had alluded to a friend and his his now wife which was me and my wife right. which we did stay there it was like the most horrifying night and we, i think that, was that the night that it was the snowstorm we were looking to get snowed in there or was that a different night yeah no that was the snowstorm night so you and your wife came over and what we decided to do was like hey i have this wood stove just in case power goes out at least we'll be warm um power did end up going out so we were in the dark just keeping the wood stove going and we had a few few things that we heard here and there but the one from that particular night that i remember is we were all like just hanging out with nothing happening and we just hear stuff getting thrown against the wall upstairs just like not like not like wind hitting the house we heard boxes like hitting the wall we were like what is yeah. happening up there and then you had mentioned it there's just the the one that all of us kind of just like stopped and listened to was was when we heard someone just walking just footstep after footstep going from one bedroom to the other and yeah. uh, it was a ser- it, it was it wasn't just one or two it was like seven or eight steps and it was loud thumps and we're like that is someone walking and that was creepy as hell yeah and, almost like an l shape because it went from the there was like a bedroom here 
and you would walk up the hallway and then go take a right. And we heard them walk from this bedroom, go up, take the right and end up in the bedroom. And that's the same hallway that my brother saw, whatever it is that he saw that mm-hmm. day. Yeah, the upstairs was so much creepier. I mean, like the, basically the only really livable space in that house was the whole downstairs, you know, which was right. fine. Upstairs, like a lot of unfinished bedrooms, it was cold. And, you know, you just basically you go up there and you just you get what you need to get done and then you get out of there because <laughs> the, yeah. the shower was up there. But that was like the only reason that you'd go up there. But, oh, man, I, I miss that house. And I wish we'd go back and investigate just in the in the state that we had it. Now that they've renovated it, you know, it's probably all nice inside and everything like that. But I do miss it. It, it was it was a lot of fun. And your grandmother was so nonchalant about it because I remember asking her because they they must have lived in the house for what 50, 60 years. They bought the house in nineteen sixty eight. So, so at least fifty years, right? Or, just about 50. fifty years yeah. they had the house. So like, you know, when my mother moved in, she was two, like she was born in sixty six. So like, mm-hmm. my mother grew up in that house. Everybody. Everybody that's been, I mean, even just our, our like casual friends that came over because they didn't believe us. Remember, they almost everybody that we know that came to that house. Right. Yeah, even Dave. So like, yeah. Dave. Dave is our biggest skeptic. Right. But like anyone that comes to that house can at least give you some sort of rendition of a story of something that they experienced there, uh, which I yeah, think is right, what makes yeah. the house so cool. Whenever, whenever, I, whenever I was there, it was always the second story that um, gave me the yeah. creeps. I never had like an actual um i never experienced anything there like anything that i thought to be paranormal other than like just weird vibes on that second floor always creeped me out the attic never um really creeped me out at all or the basement even though they were creepy looking rooms but um it was yeah i don't know it was always for me it was that second floor we were also heavily inebriated every time we did (laughs) (laughs) so even if things did happen you went to the attic and just passed out anyway so who knows what could happen up there but uh i I think one of the things i do remember is when we did film that episode we had interviewed your grandmother and she was so nonchalant about all the ghost stories that she had and she was that you know because i would ask her you know like what what kind of things that you had experienced she's like oh you know they would have conversations and oh yeah it's definitely haunted you know we would hear voices and this would happen and the dog would bark at this or that she was just so because clearly she'd been experiencing it for 50 years she's just so like oh yeah those are the ghosts (laughs) they live here too and and then it was was, uh we don't bother them they don't bother us type of energy that they had and like for me it was always just like it blew my mind because of all and like for me like just just to have those experiences yeah i'm sorry it just it just struck me as more authentic because of her casualness about it it wasn't like you know like when you see some of these ghost hunting shows and they show up to a house and they interview a family there you could tell that they're just making it up and they're nervous about like oh yeah well you know one time a a dish was thrown and they just don't seem authentic she was so authentic because she was so casual and you could tell that was just from years and years and years of things happening in that house that it was uh much more believable um yeah because her her craziest stories were just basically like just the conversation she heard like i heard myself that one night but she she had heard them frequently in the hallway upstairs where mine was a little more it was it was more terrifying to me because as dave stated like in terms of like the first so the basement was horrifying right let's just work our way from the bottom of the floor to the top of the, to the house that basement i think we can all agree looked terrifying but there was never anything there no i never experienced anything there i never heard of anyone experiencing there as scary like is that basement was like I don't think people understand when I say that basement looked like a horror movie basement it did it had like the sand floor like it just it was creepy as hell but nothing ever happened in the basement so then you get up to the first floor of the house and I've only experienced two things on that floor and the first one was the fire 
And to me, that was just like, because as I stated in the video, I did not want to move into this house. I, I despised this house, like in terms of like just being deathly afraid of it. So when I moved in, as Jesse stated, I could have moved into one of the bedrooms upstairs. I put all my stuff on the bottom floor because I was like, there's no way. There is no way in hell I am sleeping on the second floor by myself. When I moved up here when I was younger, yeah, there was other people sleeping up there. So I had a room up there. But when I was there by myself, no way in hell was I sleeping up there. So everything was on that bottom floor. And I never had any experiences except for the fire, the picture of the fire, mm -hmm. which I didn't even notice until somebody pointed out to me. Um, just by the way, all the photos that were in this video, um, the photo of that house is the actual house from like 1902. And the photo of that fire is the actual fire, the picture of the fire I took with the skull. If you look at it, you can see it. Um, but yeah, so that first floor, other than the fire and the conversation I heard where I had my quote unquote bedroom, which was half of a living room at the time, was the only two experiences on that first floor. The yeah, second floor in the, the attic. Floor in the attic yeah. yeah, yeah, that second floor is where like I knew nothing until my brother saw something. And he was two years old, so he doesn't know ghost stories at that point in his life. He doesn't know anything about the history of the house, obviously. And he was white. Like, he was as white as a ghost, just in that corner, pointing, crying, saying, the man, mummy, the man. So, like... And people say it all the time, where it's like kids and animals right. have, like, a sixth sense to these things, where it's like kids can see stuff that we can't... Um, Dave, you had a a story from when you were a kid where you used to communicate with this woman at this house. I think we were living in Plymouth at the time. I don't even know if I was born yet, but as a very young child, you were communicating this with this woman named like Esther yeah, so or something like that. It was Bernie. It was my, I had this oh, imaginary okay, friend yeah. named Bernie and um, I think I was three or four. And uh, my mother one day was with the neighbor and she was like, Oh yeah. yeah my, and she was talking about the people who lived there before. And she's like, Oh, she was such a nice woman. It was so sad. She died. She was so young, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, my mother was like, well, what was her name? She's like, her name was Bernice. <laughs> she was like, Bernie? Like, yeah, everyone called her Bernie. And my mother was like, oh, my God, like dropped her tea. <laughs> like, my son has an imaginary friend named Bernie. Like, why would a three-year-old come yeah. up with I – mean, maybe I was a, I don't know, Bernie Sanders fan or something. But I don't know. I mean, or Barney, but I, I can't Barney. think of another reason that you would have came up with, with that name, and that's where it's, it's creepy. And they say that about dogs, too, and we, we talked about when we brought Max – over that he would just he was just sitting at the bottom of the, the stairs on the first floor looking up at the second floor and just just wouldn't budge or just barking at whatever he saw up there so and that um, was the night that we heard the the walking from one room to the other was the night yep. that max was there so the, the overall point is like anyone that because like people would, would joke about it because we would tell people about this house we'd be like oh you guys don't understand this house is terrifying there you're going to experience something most likely if you come here and we'd have friends that would be like, oh, no, 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 I want to come see you. And they would be freaked out by the time they left the house that night because um, yep. we would do investigations and stuff. And I just remember some of our friends being like, holy shit, like what is going on in this place? And like just generally being freaked out. Yeah, I just, I just wish we knew what we had when we had it and we took it more seriously and did like a legit ghost investigation because we did plenty of like these nonchalant we're all drinking and just like let's go find some fucking ghosts you know like like it was all that was what we would do but yeah the, uh i i do wish that that we could still get back in there and i'm like i said now at this point like it's it's chalked for me i mean like, like it's they've completely renovated it it's probably too i mean it's probably still haunted i mean that doesn't change anything but 
at the same time, I wish it could have been different. So the other thing we should touch on is the fact that it is in the Bridgewater Triangle. I know you mentioned it. And for those of you that don't know anything about the Bridgewater Triangle, this is well within the Bridgewater Triangle. So um, Bridgewater Triangle basically stretches from Rehoboth, Freetown, up to like just about the tip of uh, Abington. And then it touches on everywhere in between. And it's called Bridgewater Triangle because it's mostly in Bridgewater, East Bridgewater, regular Bridgewater, Rainham's in there. And um, actually, I can share my screen real quick and I'll show you the, uh, the map of it. Yeah, and, actually, that was the one messed up in the video is I had a map of the Bridgewater Triangle and somehow it just absolutely decided not to work. But yeah, the Bridgewater Triangle is um, one of the most interesting paranormal areas there is. They were talking about making a season of American Horror Story out of it um, because it just, you know, you name it, it's happened in the Bridgewater Triangle. There's ghost stories, there's murders, there's mm-hmm. aliens, there's pterodactyls, there's <laughs> Bigfoot sightings like there's everything like so like you have some sort of paranormal or you know other you know worldly experience it's happened here and i mean i have my personal favorite story from the bridgewater triangle do you guys have one that sticks out to you from the bridgewater triangle i mean like there's there's a lot of cool ones so i guess the uh you have like the the ghost of 40 he's like he's like a yeah um, that's my favorite one the ghost of 44 is definitely ghost of 44 is like the hitchhiker right yeah. Right. That's my favorite story because like there's so many different accounts of it, of people from like the late sixties, early seventies throughout. So just like people that weren't, that weren't actually talking to each other and they all have like same or similar accounts where they stop to pick up this, this guy. Sometimes he's clean cut. Sometimes he's a little raggy, but he always has like a red plaid shirt on. He's got red hair and they pick him up as he's hitchhiking. And in the middle of the ride, he just disappears and they just hear him start laughing sometimes. And it's just like, yeah, that's definitely the creepiest of the stories. We went to, I think almost all of these locations. We filmed a special on the Bridgewater triangle with, uh, one of the guys from the documentary. I can't remember his name, but yeah, the guy, the main director of that, we interviewed him in front of the nip actually, which I hit on air. Um, because one of the theories is that the guy, uh, from the house that that haunts the house is somewhere in the nip and that's the place that we interviewed the director um, mm-hmm. going going back like to the house real quick just being able so i can pull up i i've pulled up the the enterprise which is the new local newspaper article from like 1949 i believe it was um the guy's name was john McElwraith. he was a farmer and I was able to pull up that article and actually read about this exact. So like, just so people know, we're not making this story up. If you type in John McElroy, um, Bridgewater Enterprise, you'll be able to find it. It wasn't the super easy to find, but if you get into the Enterprise archives, you actually can find the story and um, read the actual story about him disappearing. It's it was. How, how do you spell the, spell the last name? I think it was M-C-L-W-R-A-I-T-H, but I could be wrong on that. But he he was a real person. Um, I saw somebody a couple years ago in one of the local Bridgewater group posts post about the story who was related to him. It was like his great nephew or his nephew or something. And um, yeah, it's just it's just a weird story. There's different theories on what happened to him. 
Some people think he was hit by somebody in a car and they hit the body, but his body was never recovered. Um, quicksand was a, was the craziest one, but apparently like back in the day behind where the house was, when it was all woods and stuff, there was quicksand and people were like, you know, they think that maybe he got caught in that. And I don't I mean, know, man. Like, Yeah. See if you can find it. Cause it, what I'm pulling up is images that are so small. I can't even read them. Yeah, it's but, like I said, like it, we're, it's going to be too tough for us to find the article now. But yeah, um, if we do find the article, what we can do is share it on our Facebook page and our Twitter page as we get that going, and mm-hmm. you know, just kind of share that with everybody to show them that the story is real and that is what happened at that house. And yeah, I'm wondering if the if the people that went in and renovated it have um, experienced any any of the hauntings. Yeah, I would not be surprised if they did, but. Um, might be fun to try and get in touch with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's the uh, that's the story. Freak them out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what? Your house is haunted. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot of evidence uh, that supports it. So, anyways, that that is a hometown ghost. Anything else you want to touch on on that on that house and any of your experiences? Um, Dave, what was like your main like? What was the one thing for you that you look back on and remember from that house? Um, so I alluded to it earlier. And like I said, I never actually had an, like a real paranormal experience there myself personally, but, um, it was always just the vibes. Like I didn't like being on that second floor. It, it never, I always felt weird. I felt uncomfortable. Um, and just, it's really just, just weird energy on that floor for me. Um, but as far as the, I mean, the, the attic, we always had the most fun searching for stuff in the attic. We never, seven, you know, all we had the. The uh, flashlight exploded in the attic. That was uh, <laughs> that one that stands out in my memory. That was sure. something, and it was always turning on and off. But to it, be honest, it was always with, creepy. With, yeah. with, with this house and this whole situation, uh, it's for me. It's the the people who who did experience it and how authentic it is. Like you talked about uh, Rob's grandmother, um, and then Rob's brother when he was two. And it's like when you when you take like what Ed and Lorraine Warren used to weed out people who they knew were just not authentic when they would do their ghost investigations. Um, it was always like, it was like, what do they have to gain by telling these ghost stories? Are they looking for uh, publicity or just attention? What is it? And it was like, it was not the case with your grandmother, um, obviously. Uh, right. And it was definitely not the case with a two-year-old, you know? So you take those two main witness uh, accounts and it's like, it's just, for me, it's, it's that. Yeah, that makes it much more credible. And um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. So, so they have nothing to gain. They don't have their own ghost hunting show. They don't have their little, you know, they're not trying to push their brand on Instagram. They're not selling ghost candles or something like that. It's like, there's no reason for them to make up those stories. And like I said, it's just the, the nonchalantness of, I don't know if that's a word, but the nonchalantness of the way that she would talk about that, uh, those stories is just clearly she had been experiencing it for so long. So right. that's uh, that's very cool. Nice job on the video, Rob. I'm excited to get into more of these. Uh, what's next on the slate? What are we tackling next for the next hometown ghost story? Do we have um, so while we wait for some more like personal stories to come in, what we're going to touch on next is we're gonna, just going to go through Tombstone, Arizona, mm-hmm. since there's so many different. So even though like we all have heard the stories of Tombstone and like the battle, the fight, you know, the the fight at the OK Corral and a couple of the other stuff. When I was researching Tombstone, Arizona, there were some ghost stories that were really interesting. One in particular that I don't want to touch on yet, but like when I was reading it, I'm like, wow, how have I never heard this story? So um, we're going to touch on Tombstone, a little bit of the beginning of it, what it was like in its heyday, and then just some of the 
haunted happenings that actually happen in the town of Tombstone, Arizona. Awesome. Well, this has been Hometown Ghost Stories with uh, Jesse, Rob, and Dave. Make sure you uh, drop a sub. We'll be popping this up on iTunes and all other outlets soon. And we're gonna make its own. We're gonna make its own isolated YouTube channel for it. So uh, this will probably be up on that. Anyways, uh, thank you guys. And like I said, any submissions, any stories, we'll we'll read and review all of them. And if they're legit, then we'll dive we'll dive into it. So submit your stuff and uh, let us know. Tell us about your hometown ghost stories and your own paranormal experiences. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you guys.